0: Journey, journey, journey.
1: And mm. fully
2: enlightened. They became fully enlightened. Been... My life is just this journey that's been...
1: What did you say you just did there, Terrence?
2: I just completed a coffee enema. Wow. And I've been doing them every day for the past couple of months. Every day? Every day. Wow. Every day. So- it's amazing. I, I used this technology some years ago and remembered feeling really amazing from it. And then um, uh, committed recently to, to doing it every day and seeing what impact that it has on me and I'm noticing um, some really great benefits.
1: So yeah. of course you're on like at least 30 days of doing this consistently.
2: Yeah, it's pretty consistent. Every now and again, I miss a day here or there because I'm on a little trip away or something and I don't have the convenience of my home to uh, be able to create the the right environment for me. I notice that I, I really need to be very relaxed for me to get the benefits from it. Um, if there's my system, feels to me to be fairly parasympathetically oriented. Mm. And if I have any sense of stress or something impending or a thought of the future or some worry or concern that comes in my system quickly adjusts and I have to evacuate my bowels. Uh, So I put on either an OSHO audio or an Alan Watts is what I've been listening to the last (laughs) couple of days. And there's something about these present conversations that they have about the nature of, of thisness that helps me really drop into letting go of any worry or concern of the future, and that's my ideal space to be able to do a coffee can <clears> room. I'm
1: so happy we started with this, um, <laughs> and gentlemen. Welcome to Journey Doses with Ash and Ty. We have Terrence Carfrey on the show today. Ashley is laying on the couch next to me, dehydrated and not feeling well. She'll probably chime in and make annoying, irritating comments here and there, but for now, it's just. Terrence and I and as you just heard Terrence is sharing about his animal experience and the consistency at which he's been using the tool uh, which is really interesting to me I've not known many people that do it really consistently I've done it only once myself didn't really experience much benefit from it Um, so it's interesting for me to hear how you know it's benefiting you what ways is it benefiting do you do you suppose or do you recognize right now
2: Well, for stars, it lets me talk about my poop, which seems to be a a penchant that I have. (laughs) You know, get all my shit out in the open. Um, Mm. But Uh, uh, thanks, (laughs) delayed reaction. (laughs) Uh, The um, the benefits that I've noticed. You know, people talk about all these different detox technologies of uh, liver and gallbladder flushes and uh, fasting and some other aggressive techniques. is I've, I've kind of practiced with just about everyone that I've come across, and coffee enemas seem to be um, a much more gentle way uh, to facilitate detoxification of the body. And my understanding of it is, although it doesn't really um, pull too much out of the body system as a whole from what's in the liver and what's processing at the time, it seems to help facilitate the uh, removal of of that, which is currently residing in the liver that's toxic for the body. And so what I notice for myself is I feel really good after it and I feel clean. I feel, um, you know, generally it, it coincides with a full bowel evacuation, which helps me feel light. And mm-hmm. uh, I do it in the mornings. And with my intermittent fasting, I don't have, um, I don't have a meal till around midday.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so my mornings, I feel my body just really liberated from any, need for accelerated detoxification or processing of food in my belly. And, um, yeah, when I go and train in the gym and, and do my morning workload, uh, with mental activity, I just seem to be much more effective. So there's those benefits.
1: Are you working out while fasted after the enema?
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: I mean, it sounds like a, a pretty amazing trifecta. I'm sure you're doing other things in there as well as far as hydration goes or something like that, but um, just like a full cellular revamping sounds like to me.
2: Yeah. You know, the, the gym that I'm going to here in Bali um, is it has a, it has a sauna a steam room and a cold plunge. Mm. And so the routine that I have after every workout is to get into the sauna and really sweat as well. And these more passive forms of detoxification of just allowing for the coffee to come in. I suppose it's quite active using a compound into the liver to facilitate uh, the phase two detox is, is really wonderful for the liver. And then the sweating helps to liberate the body of a lot of toxins that are kind of circulating wanting to come out through the sweat. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, after the sauna, I have a quick soap down shower and then jump in the cold plunge as quickly as I can after the sauna to Mm -hmm. then, you know, do those, wonderful things that uh, cold plungers tend to do. All of them. Uh, so this, this system at the moment, I've been running for a few months and yeah, I feel, I feel really good from it.
1: Yeah. Um, so to rewind a little bit, what is the actual Enema kit that you're using?
2: Yeah, Your it's pretty simple. There are these disposable Enema bags that you can get. Uh, I tend to use them and reuse them a little bit. Um, try to keep the, the nozzle that's being inserted into the anus and rectum clean. Um, I've just invested another one that has disposable ends uh, so that I can not be reinserting a um, contaminated tip. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been using this for months and months and months in this system with a contaminated tip and I haven't really noticed any detriments to it. Uh, but principally, I think it's better to, to have a disposable um, head that's being inserted
1: no no itchy butthole yet
2: <laughs> not that no i've loss
1: noticed. Of, no loss of rectal hair
2: <laughs> well yeah i don't know about that i haven't got <laughs> up close and personal enough to see <laughs> maybe maybe um it yeah do. so a disposable kit and then um i just use a um a, a particular coffee that's been grown and prepared specifically for animas so they usually have a much higher caffeine content
1: oh and I'm unsure of this, actually. Does caffeine stimulate, stimulate, you, stimulate you through the colon like that? Can you actually experience that stimulation there?
2: You know, it's a funny thing. Um, I, I am very, very sensitive to caffeine. Even a decaffeinated coffee or a tea will have a pretty dramatic influence on my nervous system. Um, saying that phrase earlier that my system is more parasympathetically oriented, if I have any stimulants at all... Mm. Um, I have a pretty dramatic impact from it. Uh, And so a coffee hit typically from a single shot of coffee and an espresso or a latte or something would generally have me um, over a period of 30 to 60 minutes reaching a peak level of cognitive kind of performance where I'm just like speaking really quickly. Mm -hmm. And then the rate of thinking outpaces my rate of speaking and then my rate of cognition starts to outpace my rate of comprehension and I start to get very flustered. Mm. And after reaching that peak, I, I feel very agitated, anxious. And um, within probably hour one to two, I kind of collapse in a needing to rest and have some sort of pseudo sleep where my system kind of reboots. Mm. And then for the rest of the day, I'm, very groggy and I don't feel very good. So that's my typical caffeine, um, arc. And, um, I don't get that at all with coffee enemas. I I don't get it at all. So from what I've read, the, um, the uptake of caffeine, um, through the, the, the colon goes directly to the liver and interacts in the liver without actually circulating through the, um, the rest of the system. Mm. Now, I could be wrong on this. I, I looked into this some years ago, and um, but my empirical anecdotal experience is that yeah. it doesn't seem to jack up my system the same way that ingesting a coffee would. Yeah, and the
1: coffee that's used, it's typically a green coffee, right, from what I've seen?
2: You know, there's a company in, I think it's in Canada, called S.A. Wilson's that does a white coffee. Oh, white. And that was the one that I was using um, in the states here okay. in bali i have been ordering there's a few different brands of Anima coffee and they have the medium roast the dark roast and i've been experimenting with different ones i don't notice a significant difference between them but that uh, that white coffee was particularly grown brewed for the purposes of enemas and mm. uh, from the reading that i did around it the levels of caffeine were exceptionally high um, mm. in that and you wouldn't want to drink it as a as a coffee, its taste would be horrible. It was yeah. brewed particularly for its caffeine content.
1: Yeah. I'd be interested to, to learn about how they, they create coffee beans that are different. Like what are they doing to the coffee bean or the coffee blend that's making it more suitable for an enema versus drinking?
2: Very good question. I think one of the first things I'd look at, is it organic or not? Um, yeah. From what I understand, the amount of, uh, crap that they spray onto coffee plants is is pretty high so um knowing the sensitivity of the colon and that i'd i'd want to be using really clean coffee but it's a great question i don't know i haven't looked into the um the growth cycle of coffee and the different variants of coffee beans that are available to to know is this a hybrid is it is it and like tea like all tea is from the same plant but it's just you know the way that it's um uh, the way that it's dried or harvested or whatever that uh, creates the different types of teas. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what it's like with coffee.
1: Yeah. Personally, I love coffee. I think, I I think you know this about me. Um, and the way that you just, you talked about your progression, your coffee progression, I've never put it into words like that, but it makes so much sense for me as well. Uh, the point of getting to the the place where, um, cognition surpasses like the way that the mouth can actually communicate what's going on there and then reaching the point of frustration or anxiety. Totally, totally resonate with that. Um, yeah, but enough of my morning routine with coffee, yours, um, you have so many great things there going on before noon. So many people have so much trouble deciding anything. And obviously your schedule as a coach, as a teacher, as a guide of sorts, Um, is a little bit more flexible. Maybe you have more time in the morning than most. But what does the morning routine mean to you? Is it super important that you get most or all of those things in? And how much priority do you put in getting those things done for yourself before you start working or something like that?
2: So I'll be really candid here. Um, being Being in Bali... And having closed down my business in the states and escaping what I considered to be the madness over there, uh, I came over here Whatever. and a lot of the <laughs> lot of the work that i um, I was doing wound down, and um, I had structured my investments to allow me to have as best I could the ability to survive off a of passive income and i I really took some time when I was out here to uh, investigate what my what my clear heart centered direction was with regards to effort. In in work, uh, in an offering, in service, and um, it's been it's been seven months now that I've been out here, wow. and in that time, I noticed that there was a growing sense of of drifting, of lack of purposeless purpose, and a feeling of purposelessness. And um, so, I found a way for me to feel more accomplished and grounded in myself was to have routines and to do things that were a benefit to me. Um, so in the in the models that I've worked with, uh, Paul check speaks of this model, the I, the we, the all mm-hmm. and the I being primary and needing to take care of self first. So I, I really attended to that. And so I'd, I'd get up in the morning. Currently my morning routine is I, I wake up around six, six thirty. 30. Um, I, then go for a walk, barefoot walk around the rice fields here. There's a beautiful walk that takes me about 30 to 40 minutes to do. And I get to watch the colors changing in the sky and see the other human creatures that are early morning people and wandering around outside. And it's a quiet time of the day and often very reflective. So then I'll use that as a, either a meditation walk or a, um, uh, A learning walk where I'll listen to an audio book, or I'll invite someone along and have a have a meaningful conversation on that walk in the morning, and then from there I get back and typically um, do a mix of whatever feels uh, most alive. There'll be um, about twenty to thirty minutes of qigong. There'll be thirty to forty minutes of stretching that I'll do. Uh, The coffee enema is something I do, and then I do a a, usually a, a perusal over my. Uh, connections and uh, groups that I'm connected with about the status of the world usually is what my interest is of, of seeing the, um, the way that certain agendas um, are playing out. And uh, that's something I could probably drop in my routine because it's,
1: (laughs) uh,
2: it doesn't always feel like it serves me the way that I imagine that it serves me. Mm. Yeah. What does it serve? Well, there's a point at which I feel um, being informed and looking at the patterns and building out my jigsaw puzzle of reality and these pieces that are dropping in place of like, okay, that makes sense that this would be happening now. This makes sense that this would be happening now. It definitely helps the part of me that likes to predict the future and to feel some semblance of control of my reality mm-hmm. helps that to feel a little bit more stable and grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a point at which there is no longer a, uh, a sense of creating agency or um, groundedness in myself with feeling informed and feeling like I have some ability to inform others or, or uh, moderate my behavior in the world in a way that's going to help me feel both safe, secure and healthy. It gets to a point where if I do it too much, that it just starts generating fear. It cycles into this anxiety mm. and fear, and I then start noticing my emotional well-being is compromised. And so it's a dance that I do. It's 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 often I've noticed it in that that saying the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And so I watch that in another way that I do uh, training at the gym. I will stack sessions day after day after day and then not give myself quite enough rest periods that I push too far and then my system will collapse and I'll have to then take a longer break to actually feel ready to go back and train at mm-hmm. the level that I want and same with researching um, current state of affairs in the world it's like I train beyond my point of train my mind with this and knowledge intake beyond my point of being able to digest and assimilate. To be with it in a, in a healthy emotional way. And then I start to get emotionally overwhelmed and I need to take a break from it forcibly to be able to um, come back into balance. And I notice I do that with tobacco. Sometimes I just go too hard. I do it with, uh, you know, connection in my intimate relationships. I, oh, I just yeah. too much. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. I need to just cut everything and take a break.
1: I feel like this happens all the time with you and I, when we have conversations, you speak to things that are just like fresh on my skin at the moment. Uh, And obviously we're kindred spirits in in certain ways because right now I'm in the place where there's some heavy emotional things happening. Um, But even before that, I started training really hard and I've been really focusing on my, my physical fitness, strength, endurance, and so on. And I just get so driven in that, that I push myself too far. And then I end up taking too long of a break. And the end result is much slower than if I was just to pace myself and have a much more focused, intentional uh, pacing to, to the progress. Um, And certainly the same for relationships, certainly the same for plant medicines or tobacco or whatever it is as well. Um, So why is that? Why, why do you and I go so hard in those things and then need to take a step back because of the overwhelm or or over pushing of ourselves. Maybe you could speak to yourself and I'll just see if it's the right answer for me.
2: (laughs) I love that offering. Uh, Yeah. It's, it feels like a really beautiful inquisition and what I'm actually drawn to is as you were telling me your reflection of yourself from what I offered and that there's a similarity there, I noticed that your voice went down into this sense of like, oh man, I'm not doing it right. I'm a little bit ashamed of this behavior. <laughs> and it's, it's yeah. really interesting that we do that to ourselves and the, the encouragement that I have for myself in it is a sense of humor about it and mm. appreciation of, wow, <laughs> I'm learning, I'm learning a skill of how to be balanced. Oh. And the, the metaphor of the pendulum swinging is something I use a lot in my life. And how will I know where my edge is if I don't reach and breach it? And so the, the ask of myself is in my tendency to go too far. Am I aware at the point that is too far? And can I then correct course and come back? And I do, I do that really well. And then I'll actually go too far the other way where I'll just be a lazy so-and-so and and I won't do anything for a long time. And then I'll go, well, that's too lazy. So it's back this way. And then I find this range that's kind of my sweet spot. And I keep banging up against the boundaries or overreaching those boundaries on each side of that pendulum and um, continually triangulate into into some point, the all elusive, never reached point of balance. Mm. And I just keep oscillating through it, beyond it, and, and finding my way to it. And isn't this, isn't this the, uh, like the process of everything in life and our opportunity to grow and learn and, and humble and, uh, and laugh at this process of, of us being us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I can say with my ripe old age of 31 years, that I am much more aware of when I'm getting to that point or past that point of like, slow down it's you're definitely getting there so the awareness is certainly a part of that that gift in that for sure and uh, maybe another decade or so i'll i'll have it a little bit more i'll, I'll be a little bit more aware in it, it doesn't mean that it's going to stop but yeah i mean pendulum you know for as you were saying and speaking to the pendulum what i was seeing was vibrational frequencies as you might see on like a you know in, in a recording of something or so on where there's like this progression of it and we're moving along. Um, But then I thought too, like, are we really moving along anywhere? Or is it really just the pendulum back and forth? And I just get these visuals of those, those kind of metaphorical um, reverberations or, or finding a balance in some way.
2: Uh. Yeah, the, you just, you opened a door there for me of a pretty intense conversation of the nature of reality of time and space and uh, present moment experience, past, future. <clears throat> yeah, the the waveform on uh, an oscilloscope that uh, you mm-hmm. see going through its sine wave up and down and up and down,
0: mm-hmm. it
2: does give this sense of progression through time for sure. And um, in that journey to... A balance point what we're aiming for is that the the deviations from the median line on the oscilloscope we want to see that the deviations get smaller and smaller and um that's that's our desire
1: Till we, we flatline uh,
2: well you know and then we zoom in on that flat line and then actually change the the scale of it and then the oscillations are still happening and mm. the point is that median line is is you know it's impossible to ever reach. And perhaps that is what enlightenment is when it becomes still, and there's no longer any time or space or movement or change because we've arrived at the infinite self. Um, And uh, in Itzhak Benthoff's book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, when he breaks down the idea of when a pendulum reaches that zero point at each end of the swing, it actually um, becomes everywhere at once in the, Uh, He applies physics to it. And when something is going in one direction, reaches the zero point in entering that zero point, it actually enters the field of being everywhere at once. And then he talks about the oscillation of every um, charge in a cell or every, every element of every atom in the universe is going through this oscillation. And when it reaches the zero point and reverses, it actually expands itself to be encompassing of everything. Um, and he uses pretty sound physics principles to, to demonstrate this. What's this guy's and, name? Um, Itzak Bentoff, and the book Itzhak is called Bent- Itzak Bentoff, and the book is "Stalking the Wild Pendulum."
1: Stalking
2: um, the wild pendulum. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Interesting thinker. He's big old brain that fellow, I tell you. And he, <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, that that constant striving for the the zero point, uh, I think, is the it's it's like the final resting point of consciousness where nothing more needs to be done. There is no desire. There is no charge positive or negative to move away from or move toward. It simply is residing in the infinite um, nothingness Mm. uh, where all potentiality exists. And um, that's, that's kind of the desire Mm. of all beings. I think of all matter of all life and, and existence is to return to that Mm. yet. It's may never actually be attained because it's an infinite journey. Um yeah, and no, was one other thing. Uh, our mutual teacher uh, John McMullen would would talk about these tendencies in humans to experience traumatic events, relive them from their past, and he would talk about how they'd show up and how loud they 'd be, how long they 'd last, and how often they 'd show up and I always would see this in that waveform of frequency, magnitude, mm-hmm. and duration mm-hmm. and how we'd measure our success in those fields of trauma digestion or, or trauma assimilation um, would be the reduction in frequency Mm -hmm. of these events, the reduction in duration. (laughs) And (laughs) got puppy in the background there and the, um, and the reduction in what we say, frequency, duration, and magnitude, the the Mm -hmm. intensity of the event uh, would be reduced as well.
1: I appreciate yeah, that a lot I really because like I, I feel yeah. like a lot of people in addressing healing, serving their traumas in some way, like it's just supposed to go away. Like it's supposed to, you, do, you know, you do a couple therapy sessions, ayahuasca session or whatever it is.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's boom gone. i have work through that now. That's in the past. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's never yep. going to show up again. I
1: addressed it and I can speak to this. Like I've had in, in ceremonies, the same kind of thing come up or in coaching calls, the same kind of thing come up. But the charge behind it is just now reduced um, for you know that that's my process and and the frequency um, magnitude and duration can give people a little context around like okay, like let's be gentle on ourselves it's going to keep coming up, but was it easier this time in some way uh, it's a, a really good reminder in you know progress of any, any sort as if you're we striving for progress
2: totally my Meditations into into this has led me to a very humble approach to it of settling in like this ride is continuing and mm. whatever I've experienced so far that has been really intense, I'm probably going to experience it again. It's going to be less intense. And most likely there's going to be experiences that I haven't been able to digest or fully experience because they've been simply too intense for me to be able to be with. And mm. I've numbed them out. And they're also returning to the zero point and they'll show up at some point. Uh, for me, and it's going to be really intense and to the point where, oh my God, like, how am I going to be with this thing?
1: Do you have any of those things that you're really aware of that you've seen come up recently or that they've come up recently and you're like, <laughs> there it is again? Holy shit, this thing has come up again. It is still not integrated in me, it is still showing up in my experience.
2: Oh my God. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's a daily occurrence for me, man. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, the, you know pick any one domain of life uh let's say it's um it's with something that pops into mind like there's there's the whole range of of um experiences within relationship and how Mm -hmm. i interact with the significant other and the patterns of behavior that show up there like man i'm doing that thing again there it is Mm -hmm. or um with my addictions whether it's uh one that i'm i recently went through a phase of with uh tobacco uh, or addiction to to pornography, uh, mm-hmm. high speed internet porn has been something that I've had a challenge with in my life, and noticing that that comes up every now and again, and uh, like, oh wow, here it is again, and I get to be with this thing, and all of the feelings of shame and and uh, whatever else is happening um, alongside that that pattern of behaviour. So yeah, what I what I notice that I get curious about is. What haven't I felt yet? What haven't I become aware of that is happening and that runs my life unbeknownst to me. Mm. You've and, been in uh, work
1: a long time. Do you suppose that there's anything? Well, there always is. And I can't ask you like, well, what do you think it is? Cause it's out of your awareness. But I
2: mean, yeah, we don't know. Like what we said, don't you've, know. Been
1: in, you've been in the work for so long.
2: I guess you make question. me sound old there, man. <laughs> what, well,
1: you're just you've been experienced in many different modalities of growing, regardless yeah. of how yeah, I've got you no, I've no got one the same are. Oh, you just aged yourself there. You did it, not me. I did.
2: I've, I've been, yeah, you know, I'm 45. I've been, I've been putting attention on this for, for 25 years. I think was when I first started encountering the concepts of Buddhism and wanted to start looking at self mm. and what were. The motivations behind my behavior. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, it's the most engaging journey. Like, you know, this is, this is what I love doing. This is what I love coaching people on. And, um, what I tend to find myself wanting to read up on or listen to conversations around more than anything else. And yeah, we don't, it's a, it's a, like a constantly unfolding journey. I keep getting this image come up of something I, I thought of some years ago of, the nature of of the um, of the journey into self, and I, I see this massive block of ice with these events that happened in the past, like that are embedded within it. And you know, over time, this block of ice can either stay the way that it is, like frozen, with all these events, these traumas, these hidden things that we've numbed out. And I think ice is a great metaphor for the numbness that we feel, like we can't mm-hmm. feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we start putting attention on it, it's like our light shines on this block of ice and it progressively starts to melt. And those things closer to the surface of this block of ice start to reveal themselves. And we get to start working on it and feeling it and going, Oh, what is this thing? And we see the tip of the iceberg, uh, another metaphor embedded in a metaphor like that one, Um <laughs> And, and then as it reveals itself more and more, we get to see the shape and the color and the texture and the depth of this thing. And then Mm -hmm. eventually it's done. It's like, we, we release it out and it becomes this amazing um, body of work that we have excavated from this, this big block of ice. And now it's, it's accessible to us at any time. And we get to use that in our future investigations with self and other. Mm. And I, I, Feel that that light of awareness is like the sun shining on on the block, and I bring that light of awareness as much as I can perpetually to this process of of gently melting this block of ice. Mm. And the same metaphor really has yielded a lot of um, benefits for me because you know I sometimes want to take a, a pickaxe to this this block of ice and start chipping away at it and excavating things before they're ready and it's hard work and it's penetrating and it's, it's uncomfortable. And um, sometimes these things that get pulled out, they're, they're incomplete form and they're overwhelming again. And like, all I want to do is shove it back in and have it like Mm -hmm. numbed out again. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I've opted for instead is, is the humbleness to accept that the light of my awareness is like the sun that I shine on this block of ice. And it, it's going to melt at exactly the rate that it needs to. And you know there'll probably be times when that sun sets and that block of ice gets to remain stagnant and maybe even freezes a little bit more because that's the cycle that it's going through yeah. and if i'm really intent maybe i can go and do some workshops or put myself in a in a place where i get to put some heat lamps on it and and have an environment where i can like okay do some focused work in this area or that area of this big block of ice and uh yeah that's that's my that's my way of dealing with it and and being with the process of of uncovering as gracefully as possible the experience of my life that were overwhelming when I experienced them and giving myself the opportunity to really assimilate that experience so that it can become a gift in my world and to Mm -hmm. others, myself.
1: I really appreciate that metaphor and way of approaching it. You've actually invited me to consider that same visualization and metaphor in a coaching session before And Mm -hmm. I don't remember the context of the call or what we were getting into that day. But what I do recall is that it was actually my infant self that came out of the block of ice. Mm -hmm. And there was a relationship there to uh, me kind of discovering and holding that version of myself and how it related to appreciating the, the male um, line within my family, because my dad ended up being there in, in the call and visualization and, me and my baby self. And it was just beautiful. It was, it was really cool to um, gently discover with the melting of the ice, what was going on for me in that particular day. And I think metaphor is so important in that, in coaching, in anything really. Um, So many of us are very stuck in our heads, our minds, not that you're not a super smart intellectual guy, but in what ways can we use metaphor and story to, to hit us a little deeper, to to find a little bit more meaning in what we're trying to discover. So I really appreciate those those ways of going about that kind of discovery or anything.
2: Mm, yeah, thanks for speaking to it. I think analogy and metaphor mm-hmm. are the the key attributes of a a wise person for me. The ability to apply them, and if we can, we'll speak for myself. If I can find something in nature in the world that is exactly the same as this process that's going on internally with me, but different. Mm. And that it's, it's undeniable in the witnessing of it, in the description of the way that a plant grows or how clouds form or how ice melts, as we were just using. And the, the statement that was, you know, unless you can explain something that can be understandable to a five-year-old, explain it in a way that a five-year-old can understand it, you don't really understand it. yeah. And five-year-olds aren't so interested in jargon or um, in technicalities of a situation, but they they do respond to stories and things that they can observe in the world and saying, well, it's just like this.
1: Mm-hmm. And like,
2: wow, okay, that makes sense. And um, yeah. I think that's, that's where true wisdom, not necessarily intelligence, but wisdom re- uh, resides for me is I know for myself, I, I consider myself in a, any particular avenue developing some wisdom if I can understand it in the context of something else that's occurring in nature. I'm like, this is, this is undeniable, it's irrefutable, it's obvious. And I could easily take this and apply it to this other concept that's kind of hard to grasp for people on its own. And then when they're um, juxtaposed, then it makes complete sense that's when I, I give myself a pat on the back and going, okay, that's that's the way I do it. And I think about the, you know, the the long history that humans have had um, before the advent of the written word yeah. that we'd use stories and mm-hmm. sitting by a fire in the evening and having the elders tell stories. Um, and in that, that state where we're not in the, the light of day and functioning in those beta brainwave patterns but we kind of drop down into the alpha and maybe even theater and we're there and we're speaking to the subconscious more mm. and through these images and stories that may not make sense like i'm sure you've encountered plenty of native or indigenous stories that like how do you think that that mountain was created by that turtle that, (laughs) you know, had a fight with the ostrich and suddenly now it's a mountain. And Mm -hmm. yet there's a part of our subconscious and our, and our dream consciousness that it makes complete sense to. And so when we can bypass this insatiable cognitive mind that wants to understand things from a, um, a very literal perspective and we go into the world of metaphor and analogy, um, and story. I think that a deeper wisdom is imparted.
1: Do you think that n- nature analogy or metaphor hits home a little bit more or does it m- depend on the person and what the person relates with more? If you're inviting that for somebody.
2: Yeah. That phrase, does it hit home more? Like let's define what home is then in, mm. in that. And mm-hmm. um, if home is the the unconscious mind, and the place where we're seeking to create a, a greater sense of calm, peace, um, relaxation, and if if the metaphor and analogy hits that home place, the place that's operating without our conscious thought, that's that's always there. That's the dominant. Um, uh, operating system of our of our consciousness then i think that does hit home more i think that's exactly what it does that's the that's the purpose of metaphor and analogy is to bypass those surface levels of of cognition and get to the deeper levels that are beneath our conscious radar
1: yeah i think i agree with that um... And as far as unconscious goes, I'd like to to hear a little bit more on what you believe the unconscious unconscious mind within us actually is. Because the way I I look at unconscious, the unconsciousness now is, is that it's collective. It's the collective unconscious. Do you think there's a separate there versus the collective unconscious in our unconsciousness? Or are those the same?
2: it feels like you just asked me to, to take a dive into the ocean of the internet and define it. Um,
1: <laughs> you can't do that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's what every mystic in, in history has attempted to do. Uh, yeah. And yeah. they've, they've exhausted themselves realizing the futility of it, but also encountered their insatiable, obsessive um, desire to continue trying mm-hmm. um, yeah i I'm not going to make an attempt to define it uh, but I will speak to that uh, the nature of that of that concept of the unconscious and you know you spoke to there's elements of it being um, collective uh, there's elements of it being in the dream there's elements of it being really close to the surface that we have access to from time to time mm. um, and it's it's a great mystery like What is that? Where do our thoughts arise from? Where do our inspired moments or intuition arise from? Is this, is this generated from within us? Or is it, are we sort of like these antennas that are picking up signals from something else? And is that something else somewhere else? Or is it somewhere inside of us? Mm -hmm. Is there, is there a multiverse within us or is it just this multiverse outside of us? And all these questions I would have to answer probably. Yes.
1: All of them. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, just yes.
2: (laughs) Like, fuck, I don't know. (laughs) Yes, yes,
1: yes, why not? (laughs) Yeah. Tell me why not first. Imagine it. Yeah.
2: Great, great question. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Can I interject?
1: Sure, dear, interject.
0: Tell me about this crystal on your neck.
2: (laughs) This
1: crystal Uh on your neck that nobody can see, but we can. Yeah,
0: but we can. We can see he's wearing this big, beautiful, probably clear quartz, is my guess.
1: Uh huh
0: and uh what's the significance of this be- big beautiful clear quartz necklace on your neck oh, it's pretty
2: you know i love that you asked this question i just had a meditation on it yesterday and was asking myself what is the meaning of this crystal why do i choose to wear it hmm. why am i choosing to identify with this thing that's external to me um as having meaning for me like because you're not does it <laughs> perhaps yeah and uh And there's, there's a part of me that does believe that. Nice. Um, (laughs) The story of it is that I found it in some little random store in Costa Rica and uh, it wasn't for sale. And then I was so persistent when I wasn't intending on getting anything. And then I just was very persistent with the, with the store owner that I wanted it. And uh, he seemingly reluctantly sold it to me. I've since had, Salespeople go. No, he was just a really good salesperson, and <laughs> maybe that's the case. <laughs> uh, you thought but it's,
1: you were the the smarter one,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's been a it's been an ally and a friend for me, and um, I, I've I've noticed that I I think about it a lot, and I, I want to have it close to me a lot. And the yesterday the recent um, meditation I was doing on it, there's actually embedded in in the top here. There's a small Um, stone that's a a mexican fire opal Mm. and um, it's a really beautiful stone and when the light shines on it that it has these multi uh, colors that explode from within it and um, really beautiful stone and yet it's very much dominated it's hard to notice that thing it's very much dominated by this large clear quartz which is representative to me of kind of the um, the clear light of truth a clear quartz to me uh, represents truth, um, unclouded, mm-hmm. and this one has particularly clear. Uh, and so, right through to, to your me, chest hairs, <laughs> which are quite handsome. I, I it, mag- yeah.
1: it magnifies. I'll just drop my
2: my uh, you know shirt line down a little bit. Yeah, so I like the low V. There's more of this yeah. glory. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: But you know the the thing that I've been I've been ruminating on lately is who who is the nature of this person that I identify as this this one that I call Terence, that is, this character and personality that's going through this experience of life. And I feel more and more inspired uh, to disidentify with the character. And the eye that's saying this is the curiosity of who is that I that's saying, like, there's a character called Terence. Is that Terence? Well, it's dis- identifying itself as Terence, but it's still identifying as an I. Mm. What is the nature of this? And um with this, it felt like a reminder of my aim to um journey deeper and deeper into humbleness and have less and less of me and more and more of this, whatever this is. And this was like if the fire opal feels like a really strongly identified symbol for the personality of Terence. He was an Aries fiery type he was i guess he still is um and you know fire dragon in the chinese horoscope and there's a lot of aspects to my personality that kind of mirror this en- energy of a fire opal to me mm. and yet it's very small in context of this overall crystal and what i'd love to have is this um this personality of of terence and the attributes that astrologically have been imbued within that character to be able to come through as the lead aspect of this life. Yet it's, it's ground that it's operating from is this massive clear quartz crystal. That is the connection to truth and the infinite. Mm -hmm. And if I could orient myself so that the character represents this much of what is being presented and the connection to the infinite represents this much of how big the crystal is. I had a moment of saying, I feel, I feel very accomplished with that. There'd be a sense of, of pride in the journey of the character limiting its sense of agency to just that amount Mm. and recognizing a deeper truth that it is completely at the will of something much greater.
1: Yeah. The, the metaphor that I'm considering is that the iceberg that's being shown outside of the water is kind of that fire opal. It's what's seen. It's what's known in bef- below the surface of the ocean. The biggest most girthy part of, of what that iceberg is, is your truth It's your values. That's what's holding you there in the water, in the ocean. And what's the ocean? It's yeah, source, God, whatever it is. Um, and that's just my own, my own spin on it. But I, I, I like that a lot. Um, and I totally forgot you were Aries, as am I. That's probably why we're, we're such good friends, and the only reason.
2: It's probably the only reason. Yeah. <laughs> Similar um, any,
1: any more thoughts on that huge, big thing? I mean, we could talk about the. Uh, we have talked about these things for hours, and, and we can continue on for hours as well.
2: Uh, you know, it's what, well, there's a Hafez poem that goes something like, the subject tonight is love. And I can think of no better topic to spend the rest of our lives talking about. Mm. And to me, love, a synonym for God, synonym for existence, can synonym for this, I find is the most alluring topic for me to talk about yeah. and to listen to. And so, yeah, literally hours the rest of my life if you wanted to dwell in this space i'd probably join you
1: do you um oh shit question question was there just right on the the skin of my teeth um
0: the skin on your teeth
1: yeah you never heard of that right on the skin of my
0: teeth
1: whatever
2: heard right on the tip of my tongue but that's another good one right on the skin of my teeth you've used right on the On the surface yeah, of my helping, skin. Well not already. helping at all with helping me <laughs> just,
1: recover the statement. Just pick um, something else. In regards to love though. <laughs> um, the, the, the initial question I was going to ask you is <laughs> I just, just kind of fucked up the order of what, what I want to get to here, but the current state of the world, I know you have so many opinions, uh, feelings about it. Um and I want you to connect, if you, if you can, if you feel called to, the state of the world now and love. <laughs> what a great
2: question. I feel stumped initially <clears throat> on that one. Uh, let me sit with that for a moment. I think the, and I can feel this as well, the thing that is keeping me sane in my observation of events unfolding in this reality is a ground of truth that lies underneath it all, that tells me that all is perfect. And whether I can understand it or not, whether I can fully grasp it or not, this is meant to be happening. And simply the the sheer fact that it is happening means it's meant to be. Now, if we were to question the validity or the um, the right to exist of the world as it is, we'd have to also question the omnipotence of God. And if God is not all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, um, he must have somehow fucked up here. It, she, whatever you wanted to label God. But this, this organizing energy, this creative force that has, has brought into existence... Everything that we see hear, feel, to this touch, think, into it. it would have had to have fucked up somehow, and things that are happening are not meant to happen, and therefore we'd have to go into this place of feeling that we've been abandoned, that we've been forgotten, we've been left behind, that we're unattended to. We're children in the playpen that have been allowed to like go at it against each other. There's no parents watching anymore. Holy shit, watch the kids. And that was God's responsibility to watch the kids in the sandpit. And that simply just can't be true in my, in my reality and all of the psychedelic work that I've done. And so the ground of, of truth that I find myself returning to that again, feels like it's my thread and lifesaver into sanity is the realization that this is what's meant to be happening. And this beingness, this creative force that organizes everything. I believe is it may not be benevolent or malevolent, um, but I think it's striving toward its own realization, and maybe not even striving. It's it's this thing is happening and it's meant to happen. Yeah, I'm starting to put judgments onto it that own, I don't know. It, if you
1: said it is striving or it is progressing, uh, moving towards its own realization. What is this? It.
2: Yeah, I actually, the it is this creative force and I, I want to retract that statement. Any striving on behalf of God, any progression on behalf yeah. of God, any desire on behalf of God seems yeah. like ridiculousness. Yeah. And so anyway, the sheer fact of the matter is yeah. that this that we are experiencing is what is being experienced. And in my mind, it fits into the um, understanding of a perfection that is beyond my understanding. From that ground, in witnessing the world and witnessing my experience of the world, it's really chaotic and confusing and inspiring for me to attempt to understand, to make meaning of it. And how does love fit into that? My experience of the world? Um, love says to me, Here is the game that you are playing. Here is the opportunity to surrender more and trust more. Here is the opportunity for you to see that this is illusory. This is not the truth of who you really are. Love is saying to me, come home. Do you really want to keep playing this game of self and other? because we can make it more and more divided. We can make it more and more chaotic. We can make it more and more inspiring for you to say, you know what? This doesn't feel good to me. Maybe that's the truth. I don't know. I've been having this memory of this movie, Jacob's Ladder, come back to me. I don't know if you've seen it. It's Mm -hmm. a Tim Robbins movie from way back um, where he's in this experimental group in, um, yeah, spoiler alert for people that may want to watch it. We, we were just in this go after. experimental um, uh, group in the in the army in Vietnam, and he's uh, given this drug along with his whole unit, and um, they all go crazy and and turn into wild animals. And it was supposed to be able to, so they can be unleashed on the enemy, but they just attacked each other and just killed each other. <clears throat> and then he's he's in the process of dying, and uh, then dissociates from the experience, and then goes into a, an illusory world, a fantasy world where he's. He's living a life. He's back from the war and he's just living his life. And it goes on for many months and maybe years with him living his life. But progressively in this life that he's living in this, in this little window where he's dying in, in real life, in the real reality, on the stretcher, he's, um, he's living this whole other life that goes on for months and months and months. And in that progressively, it gets more and more uncomfortable, He starts seeing demons in it and he, he c- 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 sees these angelic beings that are like with him through his process of acceptance of his death. Mm. And then when he finally comes to this realization that like, oh my God, it's okay for me to die. He goes back into his reality on the stretcher and dying and, and processing the trauma of this experience that he's just had. Mm. And sometimes I wonder if this reality is not like that, that I'm just going through this experience that's very harrowing and confusing for me to come into the relationship that this character is just a character and it's going to die.
1: I can't believe I haven't seen this movie. Um, So much there that (laughs) this is a common thing. Like you, you say something that is so touching to me or important to me that I just laugh it's like my my body is so um struck slash overwhelmed by what you've just said I just laugh like that's the way that I'm processing or not processing it but so what is the way what is the way to find this love to people and by love we're not talking like I'm on Tinder and I find the girl that I'm most attracted to and we're super spicy and passionate for a few months. Oh my God, I'm in love. Not that love. Love, love, God, love, ultimate love. How do we find this? (laughs) And there's no no right answer. This is where I'm
2: going to educate myself again into a truth that feels really obvious to me. Me asking, how do I find love? It's like me reading a book and the character in it is asking the question, how do I find love? And I'm really engaged in that character's journey on how they can find love and wondering. The book's been written. They're going to go through their journey and they're going to maybe find love, maybe not find love. But I'm, I'm invested in this character as if it's unfolding in real time. But the really interesting thing about this metaphor or this analogy is that I wrote that book. There's a part of me that wrote the book of Terence, And so that that question of how do I find love is irrelevant because you asked what is the way and the way is exactly what's happening. There is no way to deviate from the way. Mm -hmm. Whatever way you take is the way you are meant to take. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And there's no fooling of, of your experience because you're a character that has been written into a story that is perfect. Mm
1: -hmm. And that
2: is part of a, a grand whole that is all existence. And there's not a, a butterfly's wings flap. There's not a drip of rain. There's not a, a, a misspoken word in all of existence that is out of place. And so when we ask the question, what is the way the asking of the question is part of the way the not knowing the answer to the question is also part of the way. And then the movement into whatever choice that's made, which is the only choice that could have been made because that is the way as well. And so there becomes an irrelevancy to the question and there comes a curiosity in this character named Terence, of what's it like to surrender to the realization that there's no way for me to deviate from the way. There's no possible way for me to make a mistake.
1: I just want that to sink in for myself and anybody listening. And then, (laughs) again, more questions after in regards to this are just kind of tedious, but I'll I'll speak to it anyways. as you were sharing before, in recognizing that everything is happening as it should, which I also believe. I, I've actually recently considered with how I experience the world that this is exactly what's supposed to be happening because it is happening. And I also recognize the shame that parts of myself are creating for myself in accepting what is labeled as horrific, terrible, air quotes, life situations. Um, And there will be people, there are people, like there are parts of myself that judge that that is naive, like uh, Holocaust, genocide, um, rape, These things are not meant to happen. And I understand that that could be a reaction and a feeling for for people. Because we have an attachment to our stories about things not supposed to be happening in the world. But a lesson I'll teach myself and, and maybe will inspire others as well is that if it is happening and you believe God to be everything, this non-dual perspective on spirituality and God, it has to, it has to be a part of the purpose. It has to be. And the meaning that we assign to it is our meaning. That, that's what we, whatever this experience of Tyler is placing on that, that thing, that judgment, that story And you're allowed to have that. You're allowed to have that perspective, judgment, story. Um, Yeah, I mean, if if you can be open to a perspective of the surrender and acceptance to all of it, it just sounds like such an easier life experience. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to do that because I want to be... (laughs) an active par- participant in the, the betterment of this self and the world. And this is what we've already talked about in the bettering of the progression of uh, it. Just <laughs> hearing myself say it too. There's a, a part of me that doesn't want to say it and accept it. Um, which is why you and I both continue to go to retreats and continue to meditate and continue to do the things that we do. Um, so I wonder if a practice could be to let go of all of these things that were driven, air quotes, to do to better ourselves and then see what's left.
2: Yeah, I love the identification that you've got of the firm resolve that your character still has agency. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't that. like the oh, doing... Too. I like the doing so I'm going to let go of the doing. Are you? Have at it, man. <laughs> Keep living in that illusion like you are so powerful like your character is is all of the things. Um there was a model I I worked with a little while ago that it's coming to me now so I'm going to going to offer it up of of that concept of god and the various levels of understanding of it and the, the first level seems to be, um, firmly rooted in that sense of I, and there is a God, there is a God. And there's the, this finger that's pointing out around that somewhere, I don't know where it is, but there's a God, there's someone, there's something, you know, it's a being it's, it's in the clouds or it's uh, on another planet or, you know, it's, it's this, it's this huge dude with a gray beard. That's looking at us. There's a God. Maybe there's many gods. There's gods out there, you know? Um, that's kind of the first level and, and steeped in confusion of how the fuck this can all be like someone must have done. Cause shit, it wasn't me. Yeah. I didn't do this. So someone must've and who was it? Well, it, it's God, God yeah. did it. Then when logic is applied to that idea that there's some external being, that's all powerful or somewhat powerful or whatever that created all of this and it's, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, when it's really looked at, it, the ridiculousness of it is is revealed and then atheism arises out of that, of the dismissal of the idea that there's a God. And so atheists, in my opinion, are, are deeper into a consciousness field than um, uh, religious zealots. And then that space of the logic applied inevitably, inevitably will come to this point of like this is fucking crazy. Like, how is this all organized? This is beyond random chance. This is organized. This is this is happening, and it's orchestrated. And the connections and synchronicities and coincidences and and perfection and how did this happen? Like, it leads us to this. Oh my god, this this is all coming, and somehow this is it's arising from me. I'm part of it all. I'm, I'm a wave on this ocean of this thing. I'm, I'm also connected to it. I'm part of it. I'm God. And not that me as Terence is God entirety. And there's a trap that I kind of fell into there of solipsism the thinking that I am the only viable form of consciousness in the universe. And everything that I see and experience is a manifestation of my own consciousness. And I'm the Again, it's it's a, a logical conclusion to say, well, how can I prove that anything other than what is existing in my experience is real? Like, how can I, how can I prove that Tyler is real and independent in a consciousness that I just haven't manufactured as part of an illusion? And there's no way to prove that, I don't think. Hmm. And so, solopsism is this orientation of there is only one God and it's me and this is here and the the old joke is: What happens when two solipsists meet in a room? And <laughs> you don't exist. No, you don't exist. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, and then the the next level beyond that 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 God. I am God. I am part of God. I God is this thing that I'm part of. When we really track that even further, then there's this this infinite pool of of wonderment that seems to happen in me when I step out of like the, Oh yeah, I'm God. And I step into simply God is this better word for it than God. This is and end of story. This is, I asked myself, what's the truest statement that I could make about reality. And I, I think I've told you this, and that is this seems to be happening. And it's based in that Socratic inquisition of Mm -hmm. how much do I actually know? And I don't know if I know anything. Socrates would say, the only thing that I know is that I know nothing. (laughs) And so that this is happening seemed like an arrogant perspective for me. This is happening, is it? Is it actually happening? Do I know that it's no, happening? Sure. I don't know that.
1: How do we, how do we prove this, that?
2: This seems to be happening. Feels like the truest statement. Yeah. But mm. there was, a, there was a, a challenge that I had given to me by my friend Jamin. And he, he said, why not step into that this is happening? Why isn't that true? Why isn't that equally as true as this seems to be happening? Because to all of my sense of perception, it is happening. And if I don't know that, if I can't rest in the knowing of that, then it's just chaotic and there is like, it's, it's very much no order. Yeah. And so I offer the, that experience to myself of this seems to be happening as equally true as this is happening and letting the paradox of the knowing and the not knowing merge to give me the truest statement that is. For me. Mm-hmm.
1: Precisely. There's just nothing I will say that will round that out any better. So this is happening. This seems to be happening as a paradoxical combination into what you experience as the, the truth of your experience.
0: Mm.
1: I, I like write questions down and I consider questions and then you just drop bombs on me and the question's gone. Like it just, just nuked it away.
0: I have the general thing, if you want to switch gears, or if you don't, then, you know, I'm just hanging out. Yeah, feel free. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking about other things back here. I thought, <laughs> uh, I thought it would be, well, okay, as reference for those listening, although we're kind of far in now, but you and I have both individually coached with Terrence, Um he's provided his guidance and uh, wisdom in conversation. And I thought it would be interesting for, I mean, how do I frame this up? Every person that I've worked with has met me where I am at that moment and you get something a little different from everyone and basically just for the people listening who don't really have an idea of what of what a more holistic approach to coaching um or healing can look like I was curious for you to share like if someone comes to you and says hey man you know I got some shit and I just need some help and I'm just working on some stuff. You know, what are a couple first key questions that you might pose to that person to, to get them thinking, like, what, what where do you start? If you want to round that out, Tyler, you can, but I, I thought that would be um, interesting for people who have never uh, worked with anyone like you, Terrence.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh Really interesting question. Um, <clears throat> the the first thing I,
1: I can you speak a little louder.
2: Sure. Yeah, I saw this finger pointing up to the sky. I'm like, what are we? Are we, <laughs> we connecting with God? <laughs> Is your
1: right? to up and you're talking actually away from the mic? <laughs> Got it.
2: Okay. Um, <clears throat> thanks. a question feels so broad of how do I, how do I in a coaching session meet another expression of the divine when they're telling me that somehow they're broken and they're lost.
1: Mm. And
2: I, I guess I want to just find the curiosity to figure out or to be with them as they ask themselves the question, why do I think that I'm broken and lost? And
1: why do I think that I'm broken and lost?
2: Yeah. People, people that have an idea that they need to improve That something's wrong. And that may be really true for them. Um, Actually, I believe that it is. And so to directly answer your question, um, I would assure them that I don't have the answer for them. But I really deeply trust that they have the answer for themselves. And I'm very willing to be with them and help them ask the right questions of themselves to find out the answers that they're looking for. And um, the clarity that I've got in my work has been boiled down to a really simple thing. And it's what I believe is the, the greatest antidote to what we're experiencing in the world right now. And it is simply to restore the faith in any individual that I encounter in themselves as the only valid source of authority of truth in the world. Fuck yeah. No greater authority than an individual's connection to their own truth. There is no parent outside, there is no teacher, there is no government official, there is no religious spiritual guru that has an authority greater than your own connection to the truth that is within your own being. So I my strong desire is to reestablish the sovereign connection to truth that each person has, and to call people out that are looking for some daddy or some mummy outside to take care of them and for them to go through the rite of passage. That's difficult to do. It takes a lot of courage for someone to claim that they are the creator of their experience and that there is no one, there's no one that knows what is true for you more than you know what is true for you. And if my experience is, if people in the world drop this idea that someone else knows better what is best for them and then said, you know what? I know what's best for me. I'm connected to it. I feel it. There's a knowing inside of me. And even if seven and a half billion people got up in my face and said, you know what? What? you're wrong, Terrence. What you think and what you feel is wrong. That I could humbly say to them, thank you for sharing your opinion. Thank you for sharing your experience of what's true for you. And I, I humbly disagree. What I feel to be true feels true for me. And I'm open to what you have to offer. And if what you offer is more true than what I feel is true, then I'm willing to take that on and, and to, to be with that. I'm not going to close myself off from the experience of existence and say that, no, I'm not going to hear anyone else, but you know what? I'm going to be the final authority always on what is true. And I'm getting tingles all over my body now because I fucking desire this. I want to meet people who I cannot manipulate or control or sway in any way. I don't want to have a client sitting in front of me. That's like, tell me, Terrence, what's true and me to sit there (laughs) masturbating going, oh, let me tell you about how great my ego is in comparison with yours. Fuck that shit. I want you to challenge me. I want you to tell me what you think is true and for me to be able to sit with and go, damn, that's rocking my world, man. Holy crap, I'm going to have to reevaluate all these things that I've built up all these stories on and then find something that's even more true. And I crave those conversations.
1: It's really amazing, I've noticed this in, in your guidance of me and coaching, when you pose the question and I find that for myself, it's fucking exciting. And as a coach, for you, and when I've been in the same situation coaching another, witnessing them discover this for themselves is amazing. It is amazing, there's nothing more empowering as a coach than to watch someone find the truth for themselves. It's amazing. i <laughs> experienced
0: There's two things that um, you were saying that I wanted to just like highlight again that I think are um, really fundamental for someone who is just trying to understand it all, just starting on their journey and doing whatever work they're doing for themselves. And one of them is this idea of externalizing and you know you're talking about like there's no mom and dad and and owning that truth for you. So that's one thing. But the other thing um, that I'd love to ask a question on that I think is super relevant. You're talking about um, when someone else has a different truth than you, and the way that you speak about it is very eloquent, very compassionate, very humble. You are in a seemingly from my perspective in a place where if someone else comes to you with an opposing truth, you can humbly listen to it and, you know, kind of leave it there. But I think in our world today, everyone um, wants to fight for their truth to be right. And they want everyone to be on the same page as them. And they want everyone to agree. And they, it's always about who's, who's more right. And, and, Um, I guess to funnel that into like a question or something for you to respond to, what's a, what's a gracious way that we as humans can meet someone with an opposing truth? How can we graciously come into that encounter, be compassionate for them own our own space and go, go about our day rather than duking it out.
2: When I offer my perspective on this, I, I love imagining how obvious it's going to be to you and how much you've, you've known this to be true for so long. Um, <laughs> don't take it personal. It's not about you. The greedy ego is going to make what they say is true mean something about us. And for us to be able to say, wow, thank you for taking the time and the energy to share your experience of yourself with me. And that's really interesting to me. Thank you. And caveat i fail at this all the time <laughs> someone starts telling me about how good this vaccine is for me and i'm like that's not a vaccine that's an experimental injection that i don't even know what's in it and there's no safety trials on it and there's da, 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 da. like i'm gonna like say my truth is greater than yours like what the fuck are you thinking that this injection is a good idea in any way shape or form and like i fail and yet What if there is a reality? And after I calm myself down from my triggered response, because my ground of truth in that regard isn't solid enough for me to be able to have someone challenge me on it. And for me to be able to like, well, I'm not affected because I'm grounded in my own truth. And so there's my work. That's my opportunity to say, wow, like I'm actually still getting challenged and impacted by, by these, these reflections of other people. Can I breathe through that? Can I digest this thing that's coming out of this block of ice? And like, oh my god, there's no, another opportunity to be with that thing. Um, but yeah, to to remember that it doesn't mean anything about me. Thanks.
1: This is especially great advice for me right now because uh, two days ago I got a phone call from a long-standing client uh, whom I train several times a week and consists of a, a large part of my income sharing that they would no longer like to work with me because I'm not vaccinated.
0: Caveat, this person is, uh, well, I don't want to say too much because it's your situation. No, you don't
1: need to. I mean, the reason is their reason. And I understand, but my point is, is that this is not about me. And as firmly as I believe in what I believe in, on my side of things, it's okay. And yes, I was triggered. There's parts of me that are still upset and I'm going to stick to my truth and do my best to not take it personally. Does it sound to you?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, like, I feel like you can stick to your truth. I think that you know your, what your truth is, but it's the taking it personal part that is very interesting to me in this conversation. Like we don't even consciously realize that we're doing that. You know, again, when, when the ego steps into the forefront and takes the wheel, like we're not aware that that's even happening. So we want to get defensive because we think that what they're saying is a direct attack on us, but it's really all about them. But we just like, we're not aware. And, um, I just find it so interesting like you know what can what could if 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 I speak my truth and someone gets triggered they seem to be taking it personal what might I be able to say to offer to that person like it might just be again a simple thing like hey like this is my truth it has nothing to do with you <laughs> don't take it personal
2: <laughs> for me it there's nothing that needs to be said or done with that other person. Um, if there's a trigger there, I, I, I have, um, a ground of, of wanting to be, um, open and curious and compassionate and kind. Um, and if what I'm inspired to say to someone seems to elicit a reaction in them, if I get reactive to their reaction, great. I get an opportunity to do that work. If I don't get reactive and they're really reactive and now challenging and threatening or um, vilifying me or arguing or whatever it is, then like, it's another great opportunity. Like, can I, can I be with this now in in a way that's non-reactive. And before you said, you know, that you weren't aware, you're not aware often that you're taking it personally. You're not aware that this thing is, is impacting you that you're triggered. And that lag time between the event happening and you coming into awareness is a great litmus test for us to all like look at and say, how long did that take me to come into the awareness that, oh, that was never about me. And then to go about digesting. And sometimes that can take days, weeks, months, years. I, in an experience with um, a really close uh, family member of mine, there's still something that's going on that's about 25 years in the, in the processing for him, that he took something personally that wasn't personal. And there's still resounding energy from that 25 years later. And, uh, you know, at what point can we come into claiming the responsibility of our experience, of our reaction, and then going about recognizing a deeper truth? And whether that time is sooner or later, it doesn't matter. Like the awareness will come this lifetime, next lifetime, at some point, because it's a charge that exists in us that's wanting to be discharged, that's wanting to be integrated. And if we if we look and we, op- if we open ourselves to the possibilities that we're holding charge in our system, then they'll reveal themselves, just like the things in the block of ice will come out. And it's okay. For me, it's okay that, that I have reactions. It's okay that I have moments where I'm unconscious and reactive and blaming someone else and then shaming myself and then angry at them, which is like drinking poison to try and hurt someone else. And all of these things are happening. And I'm like, wait and patient with myself and kind in the process and compassionate with myself to the point where I'm like, Oh, I'm doing that thing again. And then when I come into that awareness, then I have cultivated some skills on how to be with myself and then return to a centered place where I can then experience the shame of how I lost myself, experience the, the fear of, of the impact that my reaction had on the world, experience the guilt about saying things that weren't creating harmony about um, the, the pain that's in me, the, the regret, the, all of the things and then I go about being with myself there and reminding myself that it's all okay I can't make a mistake this was meant to happen and this is now where I am and this oscillation of of good feelings to bad feelings is continuing and and that's the roller coaster that I'm on and my choice seems to be to smooth out those curves and to accept more Equanimity in my experience, so yeah, I don't have as many of those lows that I'd have in the shame and the fear and the pain and the regret and the guilt, and but maybe that comes along with none of this elation and and super exuberance and stuff, and I just get to this place of contentment, of peace, of you know what, everything's good, yaman, yeah, <laughs> everything airy, mm-hmm. and yeah
1: do you think that well i'm just going to say for myself to to really notice what you're talking about takes like a an honest reflection on the actual events of a of a circumstance or a day or so Um, uh, to me we can't just keep going with no awareness or reflection and just expect things to get better Right, There has to be some sort of reflection. Would you agree?
2: So again, there's, a, there's a, an assumption embedded in that question that says that you have some agency over what's happening. Sure. That you can actually change things and do it. And from the perspective of your character, I think it's really necessary for you to effort in the, the doing of certain things that you hold to be true. So self-inquiry.
1: So but what if it's somebody who's not in, in any sort of self-reflective work, not doing any of this work or having any of these types of discussions, but they're like, um, I, I, all of a sudden, boom, I, I've noticed I react this way and I want to know how to not react this way. Would you consider that first that awareness is the important thing? however that awareness arose about about the reaction
2: yeah you know again referring to that teacher that we share john mcmullen and his um, his oft-repeated statement of <clears throat> don't shame the shame don't judge the judgment
1: mm-hmm.
2: and these these cyclical reverberations of <clears throat> a judgment that I have about something or a reaction. And then I'm, I'm judging that I had a judgment and then I judge myself for judging that I have a judgment and it keeps going. And then at some point awareness comes in It may be 50 iterations down. And we've been stewing on this for days and then 50 iterations down. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm judging. <laughs> and then we go about then digesting those 50 iterations. And maybe that awareness comes in, After two iterations, you're like, oh, I made this judgment and it's just happening. And then, oh my God, I'm judging again. It's like, oh, I'm judging. Mm -hmm. And the judgment doesn't have a charge there. The noticing dissolves the charge. And we go about dissolving it by experiencing it. So your question seems to be whether we can consciously bring awareness in sooner. And is awareness the necessary first step? I guess so.
1: And and maybe (laughs) this awareness is not even, well, not maybe. This awareness just arises, right? When you first have the awareness of something like that, it's not like you're choosing to first have that awareness, right? That awareness all of a sudden just arose because there's come usually to the point of suffering where, oh, fuck, this is a thing. I don't want this to be a thing. Why is this a thing? Where did this awareness of this thing all of a sudden come from
0: well i think before awareness is um intention to reflect like you can't really be aware unless you
1: no that's what i was saying though okay yeah uh the awareness just arises
2: Um, i guess um i do guess that uh a desire would precede awareness where that desire comes from i i don't know Again, I think these things that's are just necessarily true though. I don't think a desire has to be there. Well, a desire to to be free of the suffering that is created from the reactions. If someone is doesn't have a preference of their judgments and shame not being there or their reactivity not being there, if that's fine for them, then they wouldn't they if they become aware of it or not there'd be no direction or intention to have anything be different. And so I imagine that having a desire for something to be different. And then when awareness comes into something that exists that you prefer to be different, then you make a choice at that point to make it different.
1: I still think that awareness can arise without that desire. Because, I mean, let's say there, you know, there's just enough suffering. Um, I mean, well, this is a good question now. Let me think about it. I'm, trying to just, I'm just trying to think about past experiences when I first began considering uh, something different other than the, the suffering I had been experiencing.
2: Um, you know, what, yeah, what yeah, yeah, yeah. game we're playing here at the moment Um, it it all dissolves and falls down like a house of cards when we realize that it's all underpinned by the idea that at some point you showed up for yourself and that you were a good boy and you did what you were supposed to do and you started moving in the right direction. And what if that's just not true? What if it happened exactly when it was meant to happen because that was the storyline of your life? Mm -hmm. And so whether awareness preceded desire, desire preceded awareness. It's, it's What if underpinning all that is simply the fact that whatever happened just happened Yeah, and we can put whatever meaning on top of that, that we like, but the deeper truth is that it just happened. I had an idea for this invention, for this thing that goes in a pool. Where did that idea come from? It just yeah. happened.
1: I actually, did, I,
2: did I manufacture it? If I'm just walking down the street and I'm like, oh my God, I just had an idea. Did I manufacture that idea or did it just happen? I don't have the answer to that question, but I'm leaning towards the idea that these things are just happening.
1: Yeah. And I'm with you on that one. I've considered this recently as well. Like, and I think I've posed this to a couple different people. Like, where do you think your thoughts come from? is what I, what I tend to ask people, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious to, to find out what, uh, what somebody's response and, and my own discovery through their responses as well. Um,
2: yeah, who knows? <laughs> Not I, said the Terrence.
1: They, they seem to be happening and they are happening. um so one question any any other really pressing fiery things burning within you in regards to what we've covered so far
2: you know um i think there's not no the things that felt really alive for me before this call um interestingly were all addressed i don't know if i manufactured that or whether that was through your questions of course you did yeah. I'm Riley smiling right now. <laughs> <laughs> play by play. <laughs> um, so yeah, nothing, nothing burning in me. I, it's, I'm feeling the, the contentment of a part of me that, that had a desire to share some of these thoughts on a greater forum mm. than just, just with people that I'm encountering day to day. And there's a nice sense of contentment that I'm experiencing now around that.
1: Yeah. I'm with you, man. And I actually was going to ask you this earlier. I forgot to, but I'll say that it's really hard for me to go about a day, many days, sequence of days in a row where the depth of conversation doesn't reach these places for me because I enjoy these so much. Uh, and I, I, you and I, man, we, we, and you know, you, I'm sure on your own as well, we, we go there. Um, and it's just exciting to explore those questions and bounce back and forth with you. Um, and once you get a taste of it, it's hard to not receive or play in that depth. And we just did it. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we did. (laughs) (laughs) We just
1: did it, bro. Um, So the last question that I like to ask our guests, Ashley and I, is what is the most influential journey you've ever been on?
2: Up for interpretation. Yeah, I, I... Feel clearly what you're alluding to, and it's also what pops into my mind immediately. Like, there's been many. The the birth into this reality and the coming into consciousness in form, uh, which I had a memory of, uh, mm. was pretty darn profound.: The memory was profound. Yeah, the memory of that experience yeah. of, oh my God, I'm in a body, again, in a womb, and when here was I that? am.
1: When did you have the memory?
2: Thank you. I was going to be very facetious in my response right then. Um, uh, That was, wow, probably a good 10 years ago now. Wow. Yeah. During a, during a medicine journey with ayahuasca. Mm. Um, And there was a recollection of the, the life I lived just before this one uh, kind of in its entirety, the, feeling all the key points of it. uh, And then that personality, that character was still intact in the, in the coming into consciousness in the gestation. And then that was kind of like the, the end of that story of like, oh, and then that personality departed Mm. and then a new character was formed with the same underlying soul energy still present carrying the information from that last life that was still pertinent to, Mm -hmm. um, the journey of the soul, uh, of this soul, my soul, if there's such a thing. Um, that was, that was one thing. The, the, the next was the second DMT journey that I did, um, with a mentor and, and, uh, shaman-like character. And he, uh, he guided me through a pretty deep experience and i, I used some um nndmt and some syrian rue as an inhibitor for the uh for the compound and it was it was very profound it was uh as deeply as i've ever gone into the dissolution of any concept of self and then residing there for a long time and then f- having the very slow reformation of all the structural parts of of self soul ego emotions physical form and having all that be witnessed with this awareness that was there before during after this experience and carrying so much of that of that journey back into form as much as this form could hold of an infinite space like that. Mm. And there's definitely a before that experience for me and an after that experience for me. Mm. And there's a, there's a poem, actually. I'll, I'll read it to you. It's kind yeah, of, of my favorite poem, and it speaks to that experience. Um, it's a poem inspired by Hafez, um, written by Daniel Ladinsky, who wrote the book The Gift. Mm -hmm. and um
1: i think i have that exact version
2: yes my treasure i love this book so the uh the poem is called the quintessence of loneliness and if you can imagine that um that experience i just described informing me in the rendering of the character speaking about the character of terence speaking about that experience and what is now What is now happening to the character as a result of that experience? Hmm. The quintessence of loneliness. I am like a heroin addict in my longing for a sublime state. For that ground of conscious nothing where the rose ever blooms. Oh, the friend has done me a great favor and has so thoroughly ruined my life. What else would you expect seeing God would do? Out of the ashes of this broken frame, there is a noble rising sun pining for death because, since we first met, beloved, I've become a foreigner to every world except that one in which there is only you or me. Now that the heart has held that which can never be touched, my subsistence is a blessed desolation, and from that I cry for more loneliness. I am lonely. I am so lonely, dear beloved, for the quintessence of loneliness, for what is more alone than God? What is more pure and alone, magnificently sovereign than God? What else would you expect seeing God would do? Yeah. Yeah. It so thoroughly ruined my life and fucked me up forever in the best possible way.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It really brings to light my most recent ayahuasca journey for myself, but we'll save that one for a, another another time and leave it at that. Whew, man. Tyler's mind is blown. Thank you so much for being here, for being who you are, for being a beautiful mirror, beautiful guide, living your truth for all of us to, to witness, my friend.
2: It is my honor, a duty, and a pleasure. All right. Would you
1: like us to share with anybody who's listening, uh, like where we could find you to reach out to you?
2: Uh, Sure. You know, um, you could probably go to my website, temple coaching.com and, uh, contact me there.
1: Definitely not Instagram.
2: I'm I'm not a big fan of the social media, as you know, Uh, know. but I'm I'm sure if anyone's meant to meet me, they're going to find me. And so I, I trust that that will happen. And, uh, to anyone's listening to this, that if, if you enjoyed that, I'm, I'm stoked.
0: <laughs> I'm stoked. There's more. You can have more.
2: Oh, and,
1: <laughs> and I'm sure we'll do
2: this again. Thanks. It's really good to be with you both. Mm-hmm.
0: It's good to see your I'm face gonna, and, and gonna, your hairy chest.
2: I'm going to call you
1: in like two days. So talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, That's brother. Right. Bye.